You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Welcome back to The Devoted Podcast. This week, we are going to have a continue our conversation, actually, with Gabe Carter. He is a pastor of ours at Athey Creek, and I have had just the privilege and honor of being able to talk with him for a couple months now, just specifically about this issue. And I have learned so much, and we've been able to get into the scripture and just really see what it has to say on this issue. If you didn't hear the podcast from last week, we talked about really what's going on in our culture from the standpoint of women's empowerment and some of these crazy things we see from um, uh, from a feminist angle, but are really very contrary to the things that we see in scripture. And as promised, whether you're happy with me or not, I said that we would kind of look at some scriptures that the world deems as somewhat controversial. And I also told you the shocking thing that I actually like some of these scriptures. So I want to look at some of these, and I'm hoping I can um, give us a different look at what these are saying within their context and really kind of give what the Lord's heart is on this. And again, if you didn't hear the podcast from last week, go back and listen to that because that gives you a chance to hear where I'm coming from. And it helps you to see some of those early, uh, where we look at this from the start, how we should go all the way back to creation, and we should see how we are image bearers. And that is where our identity comes from, not from something or that the world tells us or some kind of construct that is not lasting, but something that, that God gave us from the very beginning. And then secondly, we looked at what our role specifically is in being a helper. And then we also just kind of looked at different ways and attitudes that exist in the Bible, specifically that Jesus gives towards women. And it is a place of honor and it is not a diminishing role at all. So that's a little background on what we did on um, the last week. And then this week, we have Gabe Carter. So Gabe, say hello. Hey, thank you. Gabe has been, Gabe, why don't you just tell us like how long you've been at Athey and what your role is there before we kind of jump in here? Yeah, I've, um, so I've been a pastor at Athey for about six years. I right now oversee, you know, pastoral care, which kind of, which includes a lot of different things, everything from weddings to memorials. Um, to benevolence giving and, and just caring for the flock that is among us at, at Athey. Uh, it's a huge privilege and um, something I I uh, just cherish very much. Um, and I've been at Athey for, man, going on, I think, 16, 17 years, 16 years now. And uh, just, you know, learned a lot. Just um, I love the word. I love the Lord. And um, I don't claim to have uh, any, any sense of, um, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Greek scholar necessarily. I'm not a, um, a theologian by any stretch of the matter. Um, I just am a guy who loves the Lord and loves to read his word and study it and do my best to rightly divide the word of truth. I love that. And it's something that I continue to observe about you and all the people that you interact with is we, you're, you're sometimes a bit of an understated, uh, it, it, you'd look at you and you think, oh, he, I don't, where did this come from? I mean, you'll have something that uh, I don't always expect. And particularly as we've talked about this issue, it's challenged me in good ways and um, definitely reinforced things that I that I already kind of observed in scripture. But it's just so fun to see more of a complete understanding of what is really in scripture and not allow so many other influences to, to come at us. So 
Um, so we're going to go ahead and jump right into a, uh, just start off right from the bat on a little bit of a controversial verse to some. So we're going to look at First Timothy, and I'm going to let Gabe kind of take the wheel here and um, start where you want where you want to start us off and kind of walk us through what this passage is really saying. And I'll, I'll chime in, but I'm going to try to let you take the wheel here. So you give me the, the fun, the fun one here, huh? So first Timothy yes, <laughs> chapter two, um, it is, you know, uh, within the church. And I would even say within culture, something that's hotly debated and, the chapter, you know, when anytime we're, we're looking at anything in Scripture, we always need to remember to take it in context, um, and not just the context of the single verse, but we take every all Scripture in the context of its surrounding text, and then we look at that within the context of the Bible itself. Things don't just, just pop up out of nowhere, but they're really within uh, an, a greater context. And so 1 Timothy chapter 2, you know, the controversial verses, you know, don't really start until about verse 11, but let's let's start. I'll just read it to you, and then we can chat about it. Starting in verse 8, it says, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but that which is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control." So see, everyone is thinking, oh, isn't this the verse we want to pretend isn't in the Bible, right? Or this is the passage that's not there. And and I, there's a couple different postures people take with this, right? They want to get all offended on some of the words it's saying. But show us, talk to us about what some of these words say so that we're taking this in proper context as well. It, it's funny how we, when we, when we approach scripture, I say when we approach anything, we can easily let our sensibilities sort of lead us. So when something strikes us as hard or difficult to, to understand at times, we'll either shy away from it or go, nah, it's not really what that's saying, or try to find our ways just around it. And this is one of those texts that can do that because it, it comes out fairly strong in what it's saying. And partly because of the culture we live in, we look at this written 2,000 years ago and say, well, it must have been so much different 2,000 years ago. Well, it, it was different in the sense of, of culture, but at the same time, the heart of man and the heart of woman has not changed. Like We are still the same. The Bible is timeless um, in that sense. And so when we start off, you know, it says, I desire then that in every place, some translations use the word therefore in verse eight. And, you know, the old adage, you know, when you see therefore, what's the word therefore? What's it therefore? And, um, and, you know, every time, you know, I, I, I'm a, visual guys. When I read words, I sort of picture things coming together. And so when I see the word therefore, it's almost as if it's, you know, stitching that stitches everything together. And so when you see therefore there, it's everything is stitched together for, for a purpose. And so if you rip out the therefore from that, if you, if you pull it there, you're actually unraveling all of the context and what's going on. So um, we don't have a whole lot of time to go into to everything that's happening here. Uh, Cause the first 
part of this chapter. In fact, all of this book is all stitched together. It's all put together. And so I'd encourage any of those that are listening to actually read the entire context, to read all of First Timothy to kind of get an idea of what's going on. But he starts off talking about men, you know, lifting holy hands in prayer, you know, without anger or quarreling. There's a, uh, you know, many ways in a sense to interpret scripture. And, uh, and then again, I don't claim to have the way to interpret scripture. Um, there's one way I've heard, you know, the, the, the then always now principle where you look at it and go, okay, hey, what's going on then? What's the always principle? And then how do I apply it now? And I think it's a good way of looking at, okay, there's a context that this is written in, in the day. So many who, who look at this and want to say, this is not what he meant for today will go, oh, it just, he was just speaking of, of then. So when it comes to this this text, we can easily draw sort of lines in the sand and say, well, it was only then that this was applying to, or it's only now. No, well, it, there is a there's a context, and you read it going, okay, this did happen. There was something going on in the church here that Paul had to, to instruct Timothy in leading this church through. And part of it was apparently the men were quarreling, like there was some sort of arguing going on. And when they were going to the, to, to the Lord in prayer, they were going so with, with anger. He's like, okay, hey, lift your hands, holy hands, set apart hands. How dare we approach the Lord in such a way that we are harboring bitterness, anger, no, we should be those that are lifting our hands, holy hands that are set apart. Kind of, you know, you read throughout the Psalms in regards to this, Psalm 24 and Psalm 26. Like if you read those Psalms in regards to, to, to holiness and, and the work of our hands and our hands being washed and cleansed, here he's saying, approach the Lord that way. And he says, likewise, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, you know, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. So we can look at this and is it saying, okay, should we look around from, you know, right now we're digitally gathering together virtually. We're not able to to gather at this time uh, of the recording. But, you know, when we do gather together, should we look across the aisle looking for braided hair or should we look for, for gold earrings? And so you can, you know, you can look at this going, well, that's apparently there were, there was an issue in that day with braided hair, with gold earrings with the way women adorn themselves in a way of making themselves the center of attention, pointing back to their themselves. So there's an application that's always, okay, you know, it, the then principle with the guys, right? They're arguing and they're not approaching the Lord with holy hands, set apart hands. Uh, the women, they are likewise, it says the women are not adorning themselves or putting on what they're putting. They're focusing more on the external. Peter gets at this um, in 1 Peter chapter 3, same sort of idea where he's talking about motives of the heart. And so when we apply this or look at the always principle here, it's okay, it shouldn't be focused on the self and the outward and drawing everyone into the self. And then we can go, okay, well, what does that, how does that apply to today? Here's the challenge. Now we move to verse 11 and it says, let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. Um, this is where you go, okay, wait, hold on a second. Let's, let's, let's put on the brakes here of how we are to to how women here are to learn, you know, quietly with all submissiveness. And in verse 12, I do not permit women to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And so this, this uh, even a little bit of the Greek here, you know, remaining quiet, it's a little bit harder. It's coming across, across fairly harsh in tone. But the idea there is not quarreling, not quarrelsome. Again, I refer to 1 Peter 3, and in fact, in the same chapter, in, in here in 1 Timothy 2, it talks about earlier on regards to 
peaceably. That same idea of being quiet is the same word for peaceable. Um, so there is a sense of it being peaceable. It does also mean quiet. Um, the thing about language is that the, a lot of the words mean lots of different things. Um, and we can easily just pick and choose what, what we want it to mean. If we look at, you know, if we go to Webster's Dictionary and look up the word run, for example, and we've, Amy and I, we, you, you and I had this conversation before, and I think the word run has over a hundred different definitions. And you can just pick and choose which one you want for whatever it is, but that's not how language works. <laughs> language doesn't just, you don't just right. kind of roll, you know, spin the dial and go, okay, hey, this is the one I want. It does have multiple meanings, but you have to read the full context of what's going on, what's there, and dive in. What this, what text like this should cause us to do is just pump the brakes to slow down and to dive in deep and go, what, what is happening? Like, what's going on here that would cause this? What is really being spoken of here? And not, not just quickly go, um, and I'm not claiming that, that everyone does this. Um, I could do this at times too, just brush over things, go, ah, that's what it means. And just kind of chalk everyone else off who disagrees with me on things. But here, this should cause us to pump the brakes and go, okay, what is being said when it says, let women learn quietly with all submissiveness? What do you think, Amy? I've spoken on this passage a little bit before because I think it, it quickly people can fall into a couple camps. They can look at this verse and go, well, that is just clearly not for today. This had to be some kind of cultural issue that is being discussed here. And that that just doesn't even apply to me. But I like what you're saying about like this, things like this that seem to be like hard language issues should cause us to pump the brakes and see what else it means. This is something that you know, some gals can find offensive, but I'm just saying between my husband and I, who of us is going to have many words for some things? You know, it is going to be I'm going to have a whole lot more to say about things. There's there's studies that have been done on, you know, how many more words a woman speaks in a day than a guy. OK, that's that's not a slam on women. That's not a slam on men. But we we have more words. And so part of me, sometimes when, when you do that slow down, when you decide that, okay, I'm not going to let this offend me, what is this actually saying? There's a little bit of an application here of just knowing your audience here. No, he's not saying this to men, but you know what? The men weren't really in this camp of wanting to chat all the time. And this is specifically giving the implication that this was in the corporate gathering and these women were being contentious. You know, this is saying we don't want to be arguing in a corporate gathering gathering, that should not be happening. So it is, it's taking it out of context to say that women are not to speak in church. And I think you and I have talked about this before, because you look back in the passage in Corinthians, where it says that women will prophesy and, what um, does it say, pray and prophesy? Uh, so clearly, they're speaking in church. So that's taking Paul away from what he's saying here and what he's intending here. Um, but I think a lot of times when we hear passages like this that are hard, it's the pump the brakes thing, guys. It's You need to just pause a second, set aside anything that you think might be offensive, and actually really search what this is saying. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And not even just you know, looking at what it's saying, but, but, but laying, you know, um, I'm reminded often, you know, in, in scripture, um, it says there that we were purchased with the price that the Lord in that purchase was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He, he laid his life down for us. Um, and so when we're taking in his word, being reminded God is sovereign, he's in control yet. He gave his life for us. He is good. And so when we look at scripture and we think, and we see things like this that come across as, as harsh in tone or difficult, be reminded God's word is true, but at the same time, he is good. So there's, what is the good in this? 
So let a, let a woman learn quietly. In some translations, as you were saying, um, I do not permit a woman to speak in church, um, which is a little bit of a of a of a tough way of translating. This is language in general. Language has changed a lot and does change a lot. That's why we have newer translations. Um, that's why you know I'm reading out of the ESV um, at church. You know our church we do go through the the King James, which I love as well. But the, even the modern English language has changed in the last. 50 years. Um, it, it's constantly changing, but that doesn't mean that we can't trust the Word of God. In fact, we can absolutely trust the Word of God, that it's it's true. So let women learn learn quietly. <laughs> I love, you know, how you were talking about the, the multitude of words um, and the difference. And the, those are generalities. I know some guys that could talk for a long period of time. For sure. And for sure. there is a then principle here. There is something that was going on um, in regards to you know, how things were doing, how things were going in, in the church then. If you go to even synagogues, if, or if you've ever been to a synagogue over um, in the Middle East or an ancient synagogue, we, my wife and I went to Europe this last summer and we went in Spain. There was a, um, a little Jewish community that had a synagogue there and it showed here's the men's side, here's the women's side. Um, and that's, that is how they sat, like they would sit on opposite sides. And so, so many critics of this would say, well, this was only speaking of that day where women from the women's side would then start to yell or defend or anything that the, that the pastor was saying, it would come against him from their side. And so that's what that's speaking of is just to that. Well, you can go, okay, yes, it's speaking to that, but it still applies to today in that, in that regard. There's still an application. There's still a, a universal principle that, that applies. Um, we don't have time to get into the head coverings today in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but if you read that, the, there's a context of, of, you know, it says that, that, that God, the Father, is the head of Christ, and that the, the husband is the head of the wife, and that Christ is the head of the man. And so you, you see sort of this principle given, and then you see its application played out in the head coverings, where he's, he's talking about the women there not covering their heads, which would be sort of, you know, likened today in regards to if a married woman just took off her wedding ring. You know, or particularly around uh, uh, other men, it's like, oh, I'm taking my wedding ring off because I don't want to be. You know, that's that's removing the authority, that removing the, this that that symbol. Um, so here, there's a principle given, and the application of that principle is that okay, yeah, maybe there were women who were yelling across the aisle, but still, he's saying women in this regard, you know, learn learn, you know, quietly. But then he says in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And then he gives the, the reason for that. He says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And so his reasoning here... And, oh, go ahead. But I was just going to back up on just before you get to the part about for Adam. Mm -hmm. That verse, verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. There are so many folks that just want to read that verse and just read that and walk away and then just be outraged. And it's saying so much more. And the whole reason, the whole context, I think, and why I think actually verse 12 is, is, 
just really portraying a really consistent model that's given throughout Scripture is because of verse 13 and 14. So you have to go back to the created order, and I think this is also the thing that takes us away from looking at this as just being a merely cultural situation and going back to the very first and how things are ordered. And so I'd love for you to talk about verse 13 and 14 and and the ways in which that order is really for it. And I can expand on that too, but it's, it's for our benefit. Mm-hmm. It is not for, it's not restricting. This is not a binding passage. This is really a liberating passage. And there may be some that really disagree with me on that, but I actually, I really believe that as you look at the created order of things. So talk about verse 13 yeah. and 14 a little bit. Yeah, that. no, and I, you know, the, the authority thing is something I say our, our culture ever since like the 60s has been trying to throw off authority. And I would say from day one, <laughs> ever since the fall of man, we've been trying to throw authority off. And so when authority is brought up, we tend to, to want to dismiss it or stiff arm it off to the side. And the whole context as we were, you know, even talking about before, he opens up in chapter two, he says, first of all, then I urge you that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. He says for kings and all who are in high positions um, that we may lead a peaceable um, or excuse me, peaceful and quiet life. And so even in that initial context, he's, he's re, re, you know, speaking of authorities in on this earthly plane in regards to kings or authorities over us. And when this was written, you know, Nero was king. And he's he's telling Timothy and the church, pray for Nero, you know, who eventually blames basically the fall, you know, the the burning of Rome on the Christians and and all that. But so that context of authority, here he's saying it does not permit women to exercise authority. And he does give, as you were saying, Amy, the creative order and how uh I think that's it's it's super important. And it is, it's not restricting. In fact, it's, it's that which produces and flourishes us. And now we were talking even before this, how the, the order of things tends to always surface and order will always surface. Even in the midst of chaos orders, there's always people trying to find and make order. Um, I was mentioning Zappos is a company, you know, shoe, shoe company that if you've ever purchased shoes from Zappos, great company, but five or six years ago, I can't remember exactly how long ago, they kind of went into the social experiment of let's get rid of all authority. Let's level the playing field and flatten out the, the, um, just, just the hierarchy in the sense of order. And well, they made a big fanfare about it. Let everyone know articles were written. Well, if you if you search now, you'll find I think this last January of, of 2020, they're slowly moving their way back. They're not. They're going back to order. It didn't work out. Go figure. And that it tends to happen. There tends to be a, a merge within that some sort of order. Um, and so when he's speaking of exercising authority, going back to the creative order, saying that man was formed first. Now, <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why both, you know, men and women, when reading the scripture, it can offend them is because we tend to draw a lot of our value, you know, as you were even speaking in regards um, to image in the last podcast, but a lot of our value, we tend to to attribute that to our function. So what we do, we then go, that's who I am. Um, I think even the, even, you know, amongst men, when we have our, you know, when we talk, we meet the meet for the first time, one of the first questions we come out is like, Oh, what do you do? Um, you know, to square someone up, what do they do? And it's not totally inaccurate to say that what you do is part of who you are, 
because that's true. But the reality is, is that we, you go back to, to, the, to the form of who you are in God's image. You are made in God's image. Um, that makes us distinct and different from all of creation. Uh, that that is why there's intrinsic value to humanity. That is why we want to to fight for for the rights of people. That, that is why we want to cherish um, those you know the unborn. We think of all these things like there's there's an amazing quality there because we are made in God's image. And with that, now out of that, then we then do. Um, there's an order and a creative order of of what we do. So our function is distinct and and different in a sense from our form but it draws from it. So what we do is not who we are, but what we do comes from who we are. If that makes sense, it's harder. It's kind of, you're like, well, it sounds like you're, you're, <laughs> you're speaking in tongues, but it's not, it, it's, it's totally distinct. Um, in a culture today that says, let's define who we are by what we do, by how I act, by who I am. Now I can make myself that that's, that's, I don't want to be harsh but it's a little bit of a facade where we're, where if, if we say it loud enough, if we do it enough, then maybe we, it can be true. When the reality is, is none of those things are actually going to bring satisfaction to our heart because we've never been created that way. We're created in the image of God. And when we follow his order, we find satisfaction because that is how we were made. As, you know, we, we still recognize in a fallen world, there's sin. We're still going to see death. We're still going to experience hard things. But when we... When we try to create, if you will, our own person or our own image, it just doesn't work. It, it never will work. Now, I, I could probably be, you know, get hate mail for that, or um, someone might say you're wrong, and that's true. I'm, I could be wrong. However, that's not what Scripture teaches, and because of that, I, I stand firmly on what Scripture teaches, not what my experience teaches. And I think the piece on like you were talking about about the order is just you you can't not camp out on that because it is it's so in, informative to all of this discussion that there has to be an order for things and you do see in other places in scripture where it talks about where there is disorder it, it's chaos it's not good and i always go back to you know even if you just look at creation itself and just the perfection of how things are created God is into detail, and he knew exactly the order of every single sequence that should be. And yet, I find it funny that we as people, me, will try to, I guess, balk at the fact that, well, we don't like it that way. And, you know, it's always a little bit of a, a wake-up call, you know, if my kids are struggling with me on something. It doesn't change the fact that it is, you know, and I think that's what I have to be reminded of of scripture, too. I can have all kinds of opinions. I can have all kinds of feelings sometimes about these things. But you have to be led by what is what is true and just is. But we live in such a subjective culture that wants to have all kinds of ideas about, well, you're not just understanding this word or you're not understanding the cultural context or different things. And they can confuse and muddy the water so much that I think if you just bring it back to this conversation of what is the order, though? What happened back in creation? I think it brings a lot of peace and just unity to the way the whole structure is meant to go. Yeah, no, and I, I totally agree. It is important again to go back to the to the order that God, you know, that Adam created. You know, Adam was formed first, then Eve. He's not, and he's not speaking of quality here, right? He's not saying, oh, "Well, Adam is better, therefore," or "Adam is more capable." Well, therefore, 
There's, there's no talk of that. And we, we're the ones that will inject that into there. Like we're walking around with a meat injector, you know, injecting it, going, okay, hey, this is, this is what it's saying. Because he, he chose Adam first, Adam therefore must be better. I, I've never served in the military. Um, you know, God bless those who have. But you look at those who in ranks, you know, rank up or who are leading generals. And you might think, well, they're not always the most qualified um, necessarily or the best but they're still chosen, they're still set aside for that purpose, and there's still a rank and an order to get things done. And the same thing goes for, for here when it comes to, a, a, you know, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Um, he's specifically setting Adam aside to lead, uh, to be the head in this regard, as we talk about in, in 1 Corinthians 11. And it has nothing to do necessarily with capabilities or his how good he would be at it. I know many women who would be amazing at, you know, teaching and instructing. And in fact, they, there are, there's places for that. And we can talk more about what that, you know, what those look like. Each church has a little bit different flavor, has a little bit different understanding and how to apply these things. And I think the Lord allows that in this, in this context, but it is important to go back to the creative order and say, Adam was formed first, then Eve. And it's, 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 it's almost like simple math. And again, it's not because Adam was better. Um, it's not because he was greater than Eve in any sense of the matter. In fact, uh, you know, even in your last podcast talking about the image, it says in Genesis chapter one, right, that he created, he created male and female in his image. Both of them are equal in, in receiving the image of God. It wasn't Adam got a greater section of God's image and Eve got a lesser portion, um, right. has nothing to do with that, but has everything to do with a, a distinct order of creation and creating order and making sure things are run well and done well. And so first, first Adam, you know, was formed first, then Eve and Edom and Adam was not deceived. This is where it could, you know, the rub could even come across like, well, wait a minute, hold on a minute. Can men be deceived? Sure. Absolutely. He's <laughs> not saying man cannot be deceived. He's again going back to the very beginning and saying Adam was not deceived, but the woman was, was deceived and became a transgressor. Um, in fact, it seems to me that Adam is the one that takes the fall for everything. Throughout the rest of scripture, oh, totally. you and see Adam as exactly. the one taking the fall. Um, it's, you know, we tend to, we can easily again play the blame game. What well, was Adam? You know, man fell, but Adam takes the responsibility of that fall. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, when he was talking about there, the headship, the, you know, um, in like the, the marriage counseling or the premarital counseling that I do with couples, we talk about that, you know, the head and the helper dynamic and, and how, um, I love the picture of, of the head because you, you don't, <laughs> I mean, granted, I, I say, I love the picture of the head, but this is probably going to come as a funny picture or a, a pretty grotesque picture, but you don't just pop the head off a body. Like a head removed from its body just doesn't function. Like together they're joined as one. The two become one flesh, as Paul says and um, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. And he says this is a, a great mystery. Um, and that great mystery is the picture of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And so here he's saying Adam's formed first. And in that, that distinct order, Adam's been given the responsibility, if you will, to then lead in regards to the church, specifically the local gathering of the church, which is the context here. So on the, I want to camp out just for a second back on uh, talking about that headship part and the responsibility piece, because this is the part that for me as a wife, I find so freeing and why whenever I walk out of a, a sermon or a teaching that's talking about what, um, you know, the other pastors have talked about submission and things like that, why I think it is the best news for women. And it's not 
a bad thing. And it's particularly because of that responsibility piece. I think it's um, in Romans when it talks about that, it says Adam sinned just as, as sin was brought in the world through one man. And then it talks about how Jesus would come. But it's interesting. It says Adam sinned. Okay, we know that Eve was the one that actually she was the one that was deceived and she took the fruit. But the blame actually goes to Adam. And I think that goes back to that created order thing, because that was the way the Lord designed it and wired it. And that was where that the blame, that's where the fall was going to lie. So for me, while I am going to strive to submit to the structure that the Lord has given, that's just a covering and a protection for me that I get to enjoy. And I really do believe that these passages are get-tos and not got-tos because of that, because of, again, and it's not a less than it's just not, you know, he was created first. It even said that, you know, of all the things that God created, he said it is not good. And he said, I need to create a helper fit for him. So there was, again, it's just not a diminishing role. We have done that. We have decided that the term helper or, you know, any of the terms that are culturally given to us as women in these these submissive roles that people say with like almost disdain as if that is uh, less than. And that's just not, I think, what is represented in Scripture. No, I, I agree. Um, there, there are those that, you know, um, there are injustices that happen. There are husbands that are not good to their wives. They're not leading well. Um, and, and at times, some of these objections can come up from those situations. And the reality, though, is that um, the husband is still the head of his wife, regardless of how he's acting. And he does give an account to the Lord for that. Like, I do believe he'll he'll give an account for those things. And it's, it's not that he, you know, the husband's going to become the head or the wife is going to become, you know, whatever. It's like they, they already are distinct. The Lord already set those things aside and said that's, that's who you are in, in the marriage relationship. And so that, you know, when it comes to the home, the husband is the head of the wife, um, as First uh, Corinthians 11 talks about. Um, and there's a, in a submissiveness. Uh, yes, in Ephesians chapter um, 5, it does talk about a mutual submission before it gets into the Ephesians you know, 5.25 where a husband or a wife is to submit to her husband is unto the Lord. And the submission there, you know, I, I love the example given where, you know, just, just uh, you know, like any of those listening right now, if they're in their car or if they're in their house, like they're, they're submitting themselves to the, the foundation, to the walls, to the, the roof. You've put yourself in that in there. So you're submitting yourself. Um, we, we are constantly always submitting. If you're driving on the road listening to this, you're submitting to the other drivers who aren't crossing the imaginary yellow line, you know, in the road. There's a constant submission that we're doing. And in fact, um, in those texts, if you read Ephesians chapter five, if you read, you know, um, Colossians chapter three, if you, when you read these things where it says that wives are, are to submit to their own husbands, it would have been so freeing to the day, to the women of their day to read that they're only submitting to their own husband. It, and it's not giving a, a, you know, carte blanche to every male that you now therefore must submit to. That's not what it's saying. Um, here, in this context, it's speaking specifically of the leadership of the church. In fact, everyone in that regard who is part of the church, we are to submit one to another, and then even to submit to the leadership of the church. Um, and a, a particularly saying here that women are not to teach or usurp authority over a male or a man in the church. And, uh, you know, that... Particularly, I would believe that to be, you know, speaking specifically, you know, an application would be women are not to be, you know, elders um, or even pastors in the church. 
Um, now, the term pastor, you know, is, is more loosely used today in our in our common vernacular. I would still tend to be a little more, uh, I guess, um, old fashioned and think of it as synonymous with elder. Um, so if you're an elder pastor, he's saying he's reserving that aside. In fact, the rest of, you know, he gets into First Timothy three and starts talking about the qualifications for an overseer or a pastor. And so that the context plays right into it right after this section. And some people will go, that's not fair. God's, you know, cutting out half of the, the, the congregation right there saying half the congregation can't be, it isn't qualified. Well, the reality is, is is way more than half are not qualified. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) He's giving a very narrow scope on those that are qualified. In fact, he's saying that men, and he gives this really narrow description of, of character qualities of a man um, who, who would be qualified, if you will, as an overseer or a leader in the local church. And, you know, again, a lot of us, myself included, don't always like to be told what to do. And this is how it is. And, and it's not, and I love how you were saying, Amy, it's, it's not, it's not a, a have to, it's a get to. Um, it, it really is. It, it creates within it um, a sense of accountability. Now you go, well, how does that work? How is there accountability in that? Well, we're accountable to the Lord, even within the amongst the elders, we're submitting one to another in that eldership. And in the women here, it should be a place of honor, a place of great honor. Uh, you know, those that we protect, those that are worthy of protection, it's, 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 they're worthy of great honor. And that's, you know, in the context of a husband and wife, when a husband in First Peter 3 is to know his wife and to, to live with her in an understanding way, you know, showing honor to her as the, as the weaker vessel. He is to come alongside her and to, to show her and give her a place of honor. Um, those that we protect, we honor. And um, I, I don't, I think we miss that at times. We tend to want to, it's funny, culturally we see both things. You know, we'll, we'll see those that, that want to decry and say, just roar as loud as you can to show you, to show the world who you are and you be your own superhero. At the same time, you know, you, you watch, um, you know, the superhero movies, the last one, Endgame, right? Where we recognize the value of human sacrifice for everyone else. It's a funny thing where it, you see both things at play where it's like, man, here's Iron Man. If you haven't seen the movie, it's you've had enough time to watch it. So <laughs> you've seen it, it gives his life for everybody. Sorry, spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives his life. And we, we, we recognize, man, that is a, an amazing thing for him to do. Yet at the same time, we're going, no, no, you need to pound louder. Say, say it, say who you are, um, de- you know, declare to the world who you are and let everyone know that this is, you know, you're, you, de- you need to discover who your inner person is. And so it's, we, we see both things at play in our culture and it's just a weird, you know, confluence. I don't know how we even interpret some of these things, but it's partly because there's still undertones, I would say, of a Christian culture that's that 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 lingers within our culture that we go, man, that's that's good. Someone giving their life up for us, and that points back to Christ, where um, you know Philippians chapter two, who he did not consider you know equality with God something to be grasped, but he he lowered himself and took on the form of a servant, and he laid his life down for us. He and he was obedient even to the point of death and death on a cross. You know, that, that would be my hope as I read scripture, as I come across texts like this and things that, that, you know, strike my own sensibility that I would go, okay, Lord, you gave your life for me. Surely what you mean is true. Like surely what, what you mean is good. Even if it, I don't necessarily 
experience it the way I, I want to experience or feel the way I want to feel, or I see injustices happening in the world. This isn't ever giving, giving an excuse for a man to be brutal to his wife, ever. It's not ever saying that a, that leadership should have a a you know a singularity in in dis, in in taking you know advantage of its people. It's not saying that those things are right ever. Um, it, you know when you read texts like this, it's never bringing to the surface or even saying that that any sort of injustices are good. In fact, it's saying just the opposite because it's placing the responsibility, if you will, on those that are leading. And they're the ones that are, they are to lead. Like if you read in the book of Revelation, um, in each of the letters to the, the seven churches there, depending on how you interpret that, you know, it says to the angel of Thyatira, right? To the angel of, and the word angel just means messenger. Some believe it could have been pastor. Um, it could have been the leadership. It could have been an actual angel. But still, there's a responsibility placed on the one that's that's bringing the message. Um, and so when we read this, it shouldn't just be, you know, power for power's sake or authority for authority's sake. Again, these are not disembodied. Again, it goes right back to the very beginning. There's a context here. And the context is chapter 2 in First Timothy and all of Scripture, which brings us back to Genesis chapter 1 in the creative order. So none of these things are just plucked out and then, you know, placed there to go, okay, obey it or else. Uh, it's not that. Right. There, if you read the full context of Scripture um, and Christ giving his life for us, like to me, these things become so much more appealing. It's like a flower that's blossoming and it just becomes that much what's what I want. Going that, Lord, that's what I want. I want this. Even, you know, we can debate, you know, in, and I've read books. Um, there are some books out there that get pretty nerdy um, in regards to breaking down each of the Greek words and looking at, you know, what does the word, you know, for head mean exactly? And to me, it, it, a part of my soul, I think, dies, dies a little bit in those because it's too nerdy for me, maybe. But really, at the end of the day, it's, you know, Lord, your will be done. Um, it's my will or thy will. And Lord, I want your will to be done. And so when we approach scripture, any of these things, that, sh- that should be it. And to, to wrestle through these things, um, to know that um, I, I just want to make sure that anyone reading this or, li- or reading this text or listening to this podcast to be reminded of God's goodness in the midst of this. I think we can easily just sort of look as God, you know, look at God of, as if he's just a um, some sort of computer program that has an input and an output, and he's purely pragmatic, and it's do this or don't do this or do that, you know. Our, our relationship with the Lord should be way more dynamic than that. It should be way more dynamic than, than just an input and output pragma- pragmatic sort of viewpoint. Instead, uh, we should recognize who he is, and the Bible is what does that. It gives us an understanding of who God is. In all the years I've been reading scripture, the thing is, and I've read the brutal parts, I've read the Old Testament and the things that we go through, you know, that people would, that the world would, would claim as these are the hard things and God is, you know, malevolent and mean. I got to tell you, after reading and reading scripture, all I can tell you is my heart grows that much more fond for the Lord. More and more and more as I read scripture going, he is so good. And I, and I recognize, wow, I am so sinful <laughs> from it. Yeah, it, I I. Know what you mean, and I also feel it, one thing that I have loved so much that I have learned over the years being at Athey and just being part of a church that goes chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is you get the opportunity to look through the entire scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something like, just as we've pointed out with the order thing, you see it all over. You see, don't just see it, you see it in the family structure, you see it in uh, in the created order, you see it in creation itself, but you also just see uh, even the that picture of, and you alluded to this a little bit, we don't have time to talk totally dive into that but of the the picture that 
the relationship is between husband and wife and that of uh, Christ and the church. I mean, that makes that relationship so much more important because it is talking about it's a picture of that relationship of Christ and the church. I mean, that that's huge. But you miss that if you just take out, you know, just a, a tough passage here, or you just take out this verse here, and you don't look at the full context of, picture, of Scripture, you lose some of those pictures. And the reason I, I, I think I bring that up, but also because why this subject comes up so much is because there are so many books written about this stuff and especially on for gals that are listening to this and there will be no shortage of you guys finding books that are so-called Christian books even and are going to maybe just talk about it. A lot of them are very opinion based. Some of them tap into some scripture. I don't find very many that look at the full context of scripture when they're doing that, but they're appealing gals because they are they're trying to appeal to your self of self of putting yourself ahead and again as soon as we start doing that as soon as we start doing the opposite of what scripture tells us to where it says to consider others better than ourselves that's not a gender issue that's just we are to consider others better than ourselves but when we switch that around and again you can go right back to that being a messed up order as well you're putting yourself first, and that is what so many of these um, books and speakers and bloggers are so many out there, guys, and and they will try to make it confusing. You know, they try to make it like, well, they just don't understand the Greek of this word. And while, yeah, we've talked about some of that stuff on on what the exact word means for this and and different things like that, and those things are helpful. But I also love that I think the Lord provides for us everything that we possibly need just in reading what, reading the translation that we have. Because I think if you look through the whole council of scripture and you see, you you have to balance those, like how, how do you reconcile this, you know, compassion that Jesus shows for women in the Old or in the New Testament and the, you know, even the models that we see in the Old Testament, they're great pictures. You have to be able to balance that on the scales and say, well, how does that make sense for this one passage you've plucked out to say that this, and you're going to define what you think you're, you need to be. And I, I just think we need to be really careful when we are reading anything outside of scripture on this matter, because uh, we really need to be asking the spirit to show us what his word is saying here and really have a very discerning filter when it comes to the external influences that we may see. Yeah, um, you know, just as the Bible says, test the spirits, you know, um, and the way that we test the spirit is test the spirits is through the scripture. Like we need a test for that. And so to bring things back into the word, um, when anything that you read, I think it's important to bring back anything that you hear. It's important to, to bring those back to scripture uh, and see hey, what does the word say about that? How does that apply? What, you know, to run it through the, the filter of scripture is so important in anything that we, that we hear today. You know, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. And in we we tend to, I think we can have a, a small view of lies. Now, now, I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek a little bit in the sense that we might view lying as, um, you know, if you have little kids like I do, you know, a four-year-old lying, it's very clear that they're lying. Like, it's it's they cannot hide it at all. My four-year-old cannot hide it. It's so clear. But Satan is the father of lies and, and weaves things in that sound true. 
Um, there is usually a hint of truth in some of the stuff that you read or hear or narratives, you know, um, uh, and I, I love narratives. I love books. Um, and, and a lot of times these truths are, are pushed through with a narrative of a story of someone that was hurt or something that happened, which then makes it more real because we had, we, you know, have an affinity for, for narrative. And I, I love how you were saying, Amy, that that's, it's not a gender issue in regards to esteeming others greater than ourselves, but God is sovereign and he's in control and he's good. Uh, so when it comes to any of these things, when he's going back, it's, it's, he, he created us. He set an order and a distinction. He set a decide for us to do. And therefore, you know, and in that he is good. He's given his life for us. Exactly. You know, we're going to wrap this up, but there's so much more we could talk about on this for sure. And, um, one of the things that I do want to kind of circle back on is just like a little bit of practical implication on two things. First of all, I hope that, this challenges you so that when you come across a challenging passage that you're just not sure how that you personally are not sure what to do with that. But then secondly, maybe everything in culture or everything you are reading or seeing on TV or just all of these outside pressures that are trying to paint this picture to be so that you should just look at something like this and just shun it. Um, I would ask you to do like what we talked about at the beginning of just tap the brakes on that and really look at this and look at it within the full context of scripture and and study scripture with that posture of not just trying to pull one little thing out, but really looking at all of it and trying to discover what it is that is the Lord's heart for us on these things. And I feel as I look at scripture, I see great love for us as women and I see compassion and I see honor. I see so many things in scripture that are not what the world is telling us, that that's what we're seeing. So I, my challenge to us is, is for us to take the things that we see and to always be putting them through this filter of Scripture, recognizing, first of all, that we are submitted to the words that are here. They are the infallible words of God. And as such, we have to hold them with great weight and we have to be willing to be submitted to that, even if it means putting our thing down. And we may be asked to do that from time to time. So um, again, oh my goodness, Gabe, there's so many things we could still go on, but I know we're going long. So I will stop it there. We may continue this conversation at a different time, but Gabe, thank you for helping us through a challenging passage. And for sure, I, I think we all got to give great kudos to a guy who's willing to tackle this on a podcast for, for gals. And and he, he, wasn't, he wasn't too scared. I don't think you were scared, Gabe. You did awesome. So. <laughs> Thank well, thanks you for, for doing this Amy. with me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for joining us on the Devoted Podcast, and we will be back next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.